piece on the wide. What's up, guys? Uh, welcome to the show for this episode. Um, I brought on Jan Stavinsky. He is a credit expert, has used credit, um, obviously, to build his business and where he is at now. Um, what we talk about in this episode is really what I just mentioned, how to optimize credit to obviously maximize profits. And then we also talk about entrepreneurial skills that will help you progress in any business or any market that you decide to go into. Uh, this episode really is a good one, so I hope that you listen from beginning to end. Other than that stuff, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show so I can reach other people with this information uh, if you like it. Share it with your friends. Um, besides all that stuff, I hope that you guys really enjoy this one. So through the mid- Hi, Jan. You ready to rock and roll? Let's do it. Let's do it, brother. All right. So just quickly uh, here, first of all, introduce uh, yourself, who you are, what you do, and then uh, we, can, we can go from there. So, uh, Jan, 26, I'm uh, in LA right now, and I'm best known as King Credit. So a credit and travel hacking entrepreneur who was in $82,000 worth of debt coming out of college, but that led uh, me to learning credit, understanding finance. I had a finance degree, but I didn't learn anything yeah. there. Uh, but my personal uh, financial crisis led me to what I'm doing right now, which is credit, travel hacking, uh, real estate, e-commerce which uh, stems out of credit, but uh, those are the secondary yeah. things that I do. Yeah, we're definitely going to dive deep into the story of uh, the summary that you gave there of just your journey uh, as an entrepreneur. I want to start out with uh, a couple questions, though, that I feel like get the show kicked off on the right foot. One is a random question, uh, sure. and I thought the random question that was most appropriate was, for all the places that you've been, what is that one place that is your favorite, and why is it your favorite? <laughs> so yeah so in the in the intro i didn't mention that i'm a, uh i've traveled to 47 countries so that's yeah. a very appropriate question man i would say <laughs> uh, i got so many amazing places last year i would say i'll give you two i want to give you two yeah. uh one one is uh monaco and no that's way. uh uh monte carlo it's a uh, uh, right next to France. And it's basically a city where it has the most millionaires per square mile. It's yep. where all the billionaires, millionaires, insane yachts are. That's where the, uh, what was that race? That Italian, Italian supercar race happened last year. Oh, it's, um, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't remember the name. Is it Daytona? No, that's an American race. It's not Daytona, no. It's, uh, it's like Formula One cars. They race around the streets of Monaco. Uh, yep. So that was one of my favorite places, uh, second to Mauritius, which is right off the coast of South Africa, right next to Madagascar. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, tiny island in the middle of the Indian Ocean. I believe it's the Indian Ocean. And I love to kiteboard. So the waves oh, and the scenery, it is the best place in the world to go kiteboarding. It's extremely hard to get there. You have to go through Dubai and it's like a 16 hour flight from Los Angeles or, or it's like, a, it's crazy. But I went to Monaco first. That was amazing because the energy there with probably just because there's so many millionaires and billionaires over there, primarily because of the tax benefits, the energy there was amazing. I spent two weeks over there and I went to Dubai after because I had to, I love Dubai, but I had to go there because, uh, I had to get to Mauritius 
that way. And that was a month that I spent last year in uh, 2019. Yeah, it was 2019. So those are the two favorite spots that I've ever been to out of the 47 countries. Yeah, I've been to. I know Monte Carlo is the next destination for me. I definitely the uh, what's the tennis tournament? Monte Carlo has a tennis tournament there, an ATP tournament that all the pros play, and it's super nice. The court's like right on the edge of uh, the coast there. The view is amazing with the camera angles. So, uh, Jan, just to continue on to the story of the bulk of the interview, I want to move into obviously the stuff that will help the newer and younger entrepreneurs uh, just open up, obviously, your mindset so they can understand a little bit about how you got to where you are. Uh, to start off, though, I know, um, obviously, that you went to school and you learned finance and you got a couple of degrees. Uh, why don't you just start off so we can get the story on the right foot? how you just got into being an entrepreneur in the first place. What was that instant like? Uh, the instance like, how did you even get into that moment? Describe that for us. I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. At 10 years old, I had a car washing business uh, in my neighborhood. And I never realized that's not something I should be going to school for. But regardless, I went to yeah. college, I got two degrees. And uh, coming out of college, I still wasn't able to get a job despite that I had a degree from Berkeley, I had a degree from San Francisco State University in two pretty good in marketing and finance. So you would think that marketing and finance, living in San Francisco at the time would give me a job. However, 100%. after I applied to a hundred different places, I, like I, nobody, nobody got back to me. The people that got back to me, it was like some dead end $10 an hour job I could <laughs> get that, without $200,000 degrees. <laughs> uh, so, I'm like, okay, well, you know what? This is perfect because I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur anyway. So this is a perfect opportunity for me to go uh, head first, dive into entrepreneurship, start my yeah. own business. I didn't know what I wanted to start, but I saw everybody on Instagram or YouTube with all these Lambos and like all this nice stuff that they show off yeah. and all the travel that I assumed they pay for. I, I knew travel hacking before I even went to college since I was 18 and, uh, I'm like, man, these guys are probably making a lot of money with their business. So let me try their business. And obviously they had a course. Uh, I started with Ty Lopez, Ty Lopez SMMA. Yeah. And I did that, but I'm like, look, let me try this strategy. Let me try like five different things at once. And if I yep. do all these five things at once, something's got to stick. Well, obviously that's not the way to do it because if you're diverse and your energy is everywhere and you go, your direction is nowhere. Uh, exactly. Nothing's going to happen. I had no money, by the way, start to start any business. The only thing I had was a bunch of credit cards. I had about 20 or 20 or 25 credit cards uh, when I was coming out of college. And the reason for that is travel hacking. When I was 18, I learned about credit card points and rewards. And that's how I started getting free flights with, uh, yeah. that's how I started with points and rewards. And during the time I was in college, I was taking trips every week where I wasn't in class or even I, if I had class, I would try to make a deal with the professor where I was just taking the test, not coming into class and just passing just by <laughs> taking a test. So I'm like, oh I'm like traveling to Dubai first class at like 21 years old. <laughs> people, people think I'm like a fucking billionaire. But in, reality, in reality, I got no money. I have to go back to college a couple of weeks later. Yeah. So, That's awesome. Um, but I, but I realized uh, you know, that gave me the taste of freedom. That gave me the taste of like, a, you know, an amazing life, what's out there, the possibilities. And I realized, like, even though I can do this, the income has to be there. 
because I was barely making rent. I was barely making utilities back yeah. in San Francisco, even though I was on a first class flight to <laughs> Dubai. <laughs> That's so, so sick though. But yeah, yeah I wanted to, from where you're at right now, I wanted to actually ask so we don't digress from this. I think that your input on this would be pretty interesting for yeah. those people that are actually wanting to be entrepreneurs, see themselves growing a business yet they still want to take the route of going to school and have that degree for you and knowing that it wasn't optimal for you and your degrees didn't really work out how you wanted them to. If someone does want to pursue college though, and get a degree and be an entrepreneur in the end, how do they best optimize the degrees when they're in college coming out, knowing they want to be in business and entrepreneurship? Is there a way to do that, that you've seen going through and now being an entrepreneur uh, having those degrees, what would you tell that person in that mentality to do in school to optimize it best? Yeah, there's a, there's only there's only two reasons if you so want to be an entrepreneur. I mainly asked because I felt that Jan would would give applicable information to everybody that obviously is in this situation. Literally, that's the reason I asked it, and so I just wanted to hear his input. And I think what he says is actually very very interesting uh, for all those that are in this situation where you can make it work by going to school and having it be beneficial. Number one reason is a specific trade, maybe uh, law, maybe if you want to be an entrepreneur in the yeah. medical field, for example, becoming a doctor or having that knowledge. Maybe you go through uh, medical school or, or whatever have you. Yeah. Some specific trade that you can use for your entrepreneurial journey, for your business. Number two is connections. So going to a community college or a bad school does not make any sense in terms of connections or probably yeah. even learning a specific skill because what decent high paying skill are you going to learn in a community college or any yeah. average school? If you're going to go to college, go to a very good school and use it for two things, connections and learning a specific skill that you can use for entrepreneurship. Uh, otherwise, I can't see it making sense whatsoever. I spent over $100,000 of my entrepreneurial money that I hustled and made myself <laughs> and paid for school. And it didn't work out at all for me. What did work out for me is me getting into a terrible financial situation later because I did not learn the things that I needed to learn in school, like yeah. credit, taxes, or insurance, the things that we use on a daily basis. However, they're not taught anywhere. And exactly. that landing me in a terrible financial situation, forcing me to actually go learn a skill, a knowledge about credit, taxes, insurance, how to run a business, how to do the marketing. I did that because when I was in massive debt, trying to start all these ventures that did not work out because I had no sales skills, which is what you need for a business. I had no marketing skills. I didn't know how to hire a team. I didn't know how to do anything. Anything that I learned in school did not apply in the real world trying to become an entrepreneur. So I decided to start learning credit because my credit was in the gutter. I needed to understand how it worked. I was paying a crazy amount of interest to the banks. Then I realized I needed a skill. What skill could that be? Uh, I realized it was sales, sales or marketing. Those are the two highest paying with the highest potential skills in the world. I went and got a sales job because I needed the income, but more importantly, I needed a skill. So my focus was not the income. My focus was the skill because that's what I'm going to use when I'm a real entrepreneur, when I'm going to make things work. Two years later, I've got a seven figure business. I've got 
a team that are working under me. I understand, I do the marketing. I understand the sales. I understand operations. All these things came about because I landed myself in a terrible financial situation that most people are probably not going to climb out of. But luckily, yep. luckily I climbed out of it. It worked out. But to most people that come out of college, don't have a skill, don't have knowledge about all these things that you need to succeed today are not going to climb out of that financial rut. Exactly. Yeah. So with that, two questions that I wanted to ask. So when you actually started obviously repairing your debts and your credit, you decided that you wanted obviously to get out of that situation like any normal person would. Right. So when you decided in that sales job to learn credit, what were you doing? Like, like step-by-step step, when you started, when you said, I need to learn credit, right? Were you going to Google the first thing you did and just said, learning credit, how to learn credit? What was that first step going and actually learning that? And then how did you progress and go day by day, learn more and more? Like what was the first step? And then the other uh, couple of steps after that, that really helped you learn credit, how you, how you know it now? Uh, well, the first step was I was kind of forced to learn it because if I didn't, <laughs> my situation, I, I, like I would have literally had to go back to Russia where I'm from because I was yeah. getting sued left and right. I'm like, I got I to gotta understand this. Uh, number two was curiosity. Curiosity allowed me to be creative with my searching for information. Um, I didn't yeah. see any courses or any kind of information that I could just buy and have it be in one place. So I just went to YouTube. Um, I said, how to fix credit. I went to Google, how does credit repair work? Is it possible yeah. to, to do this? Should I pay my collections? Oh, I should not pay my collections. Why should I not pay my collections? What are the benefits? What are the pros? What are the cons? How does this work? Am I gonna be liable for this? Can I actually wipe it? Did I have to wait seven years? All those things came about from being forced to learn it uh, and be getting curious about it. And when I saw progress, when I started learning it myself and implementing it myself, then I got even more curious. I'm like, oh, people, like, how, how is this not taught? My credit is at a 490, <laughs> but two months later, I'm at a 550. Another month later, I'm at a 600. Half of my debt is wiped without me paying for it. And on top of that, my sales job is now bringing me income. So that's helping me pay the remainder of my debts that are not in collections, that are still you know good standing accounts, but I'm accumulating interest on it. And six months later, being forced into it and getting even more curious and seeing results, my credit goes from a 490 to a 750. I understand how to now use it for business while minimizing risk, something I didn't understand previously. I now understand that you don't have to wait seven years for collections to fall off. I understand that interest will kill you. And if you're going to use credit yeah. for business, it should be on the business side. And you have to understand whether you're going to be using 0% capital are you going to be using charge cards? What kind of spending are you going to do? How to do it? How to scale it? Is utilization going to kill you? So that's how, that's the step-by-step. Step. Yeah. Honestly, like with your saying how you started YouTube, Google, the internet now has like made knowledge, access to knowledge, the most amazing thing ever for anybody as a resource. And it's almost like, it's almost really hindered college and the, and the, like archaic university education because most people, and I can be honest here saying that Google has passed most of tests for me in college. And it's just a fact, like no one can stop that. You can't stop doing that. And so 
why not use that resource as much as humanly possible? But it's just an interesting topic there that I know it's brought up a lot. Uh, but to, to move on, Jan, I want to also talk about the sales job just a little bit, dive deep into that. When you did decide to, to learn sales because it was an important skill that you noticed growing a business, being an entrepreneur, for somebody that doesn't necessarily feel like they have the knack for sales, I heard you say in a, in a podcast actually where uh, learning the sales skills, you said just get a sales job in the, in the position that you want to be in. Uh, or the company that you feel like would progress you the furthest. So with that and what you said, for someone that doesn't feel like they have that knack of sales and they're not maybe doing that great, how do they turn into a salesman that they feel like they're comfortable with? Is there a way to do that in your mind, knowing what you've been through? How does that person become a successful salesperson in their mind? What would you yeah, I'm just, say I'm just that trying to dive deeper into Jan's story of how exactly he became that entrepreneurial type. So starting off in the beginning with his sales job, I wanted to know how he learned the skill of sales to put him in the position he is now to obviously be a successful entrepreneur with persuasion, with talking to people and being able to grow something that he feels like he wants to, to live independently and, you know, at the end of the day, do what he wants to do. So that's the purpose of this question. Just getting deeper into how exactly he turned into the person he did uh, through sales and pursuing a sales job in the beginning of his journey. By getting uncomfortable, there's not going to be a position if you're uncomfortable yeah. as a salesperson, if you're an introvert, which by the way, you're just an introvert because you haven't become an extrovert. That's hundred percent sim simple way to put it. It's not like somebody's this or somebody's that somebody's this because that's how they were raised. That's how, you know, they've kept their environment by getting into a sales job. It has to be a step towards where you want to go to. It shouldn't be just a sales job, just for a sales job. It shouldn't be just a sales job for income or just sales, just because it sounds cool. It should be yep. something that is progressing you to where you want to go. The sales job that I got, I landed like on a, on a whim. I got an email from LinkedIn because my LinkedIn yeah. was set up properly. Uh, and LinkedIn, by the way, is an incredible tool to go and get opportunity. Uh, I got an email that said, Hey, come in for this interview. I didn't even know it was an interview, but I had nothing to lose. So I just, I just came in. Luckily that ended, uh, ended up being a sales interview. I made it and I didn't get any sales for the first three months. I'm like, man, this is not working out. Yeah. Like I'm naturally kind of an extrovert, but like, I'm not making sales. I don't know what's going on. I, I did nothing but stay and work every single day. I'm like, I need to get committed. I need to get extremely uncomfortable. I need to go to every single event that I possibly can, even if I don't want to. Three months in, I get my first $5,000 commission and the sales start yep. coming in. And now my environment starts changing. But my entire thought process of that sales job, why I was able to get committed was because I knew I was going to get the skill. I knew the income was going to come in. My environment was going to change and learning how the business works, the marketing, the hiring, the sales, the operations, those were all going to help me start my own business. And they did funny enough. I've, I've never mentioned this on a podcast. I don't think all <laughs> the operations that my, that I, that was used at my sales company, I literally took and used it for my company. I just copied exactly. it. Exactly. That's how it should be. I feel like you always stand on the shoulders of giants. I mean, sometimes you alter, 
some things, but it's always on the same concepts of what you've learned. So Jan, what I want to know now, and you tell me your thoughts on this, because I think it's so crucial just as a main principle of entrepreneurship, getting uncomfortable as an entrepreneur in every sense, maybe not even entrepreneurship, just life in general, being where you want to be in life, being happy at the end of the day, uh, at the end of your life, even like how important is being uncomfortable for the average person and the entrepreneur Uh, for you? I really wanted to drive home this principle here because... I feel like all entrepreneurship revolves around being uncomfortable, to be honest, personally. So while we're on this topic, I wanted to just squeeze out every last, you know, drop of information that Jan had about this so that we could understand exactly why this is the most important thing in entrepreneurship in the beginning to really get somewhere. Honestly, like I feel like this is the most important thing in entrepreneurship in the beginning is being uncomfortable with things that you don't typically do, right? So here, hopefully you're really, really, really taking in everything that he has to say because step one is honestly this mentality with anything you pursue. (laughs) It's extremely uncomfortable. I know this because every time I've gotten into an uncomfortable situation previously, I know it resulted in growth. Exactly. And, And missed potential is why people get down on themselves. That's like probably the main source of depression or sadness or whatever for an entrepreneur or anybody is knowing that there was potential and they didn't act on it because they didn't want to get uncomfortable. 100%. They don't want to take that risk, I feel like. And then it just results in them not really changing. Everything is the same. But yeah, you said it best right there. Uh, Jan, I want to move uh, back into obviously more of the story of your entrepreneurial journey, starting with uh, the credit usage, how you leverage that obviously to be where you're at today. Uh, Listening to one of the podcasts that you were on, you mentioned that, uh, if I'm remembering right, that you take, uh, especially with real estate deals, you take pretty big uh, lines of credit. And then you use those to fund these deals and then you make money obviously off the property. So uh, just so that we can understand how you do that, if you want to walk us through uh, like the step-by-step of how you start from square one, this is a property that I want. Here's how I'm going to get there. What are the steps in between that that are pretty crucial to get to the end goal, which is making a profit uh, on that deal? If you could just walk us through kind of your ideology there, I think that'd be pretty useful for people that are listening. Yeah, sure. So, so what you're talking about is leveraging credit to fund real estate deals where you can use yeah. a couple of, uh, you know, more advanced methods to go borrow money for free, fund real estate deals and create cash flow out of using the bank's money correctly. And just so everybody is clear on the timeline of where I'm at, that's how I initially started making money uh, with credit. When I, got, when I got out of my sales job, I quit because I was making more money leveraging credit for funding real estate deals. And this was about two two or three years ago uh, that I quit my sales job. And I was basically taking the credit lines that I had on my credit cards, which were 0% uh, APR offers, meaning I didn't have to pay interest for a period of uh, 12 to 15 months. And there's advanced ways that you can go and take credit lines, turn them into cash, not pay any fees, not pay any interest. And you can go and fund these real estate deals where hard money lenders are giving insane rates when people try to go borrow money for a flip. Whereas I can go in, offer these guys uh, money, which these guys were actually colleagues of mine from the sales job that I met 
And so, so the sales job was, was incredible. Mm -hmm. It opened up so many doors and you fund these deals. Uh, and I was taking a smaller percentage than what they would have paid to the bank and I'm not paying the bank anything. So this is how I started making money in, uh, real estate leveraging credit. But right now where real estate single family is at an all time high, I don't see any opportunity there uh, too much. So I'm not doing anything yeah. in the real estate market right now until I see big opportunities where things crash. Basically that's, that's what I'm waiting for. And I think it's going to happen sometime yeah. in the next six, 12, maybe 24 months, how in 2008, everything crashed, but in 2011, 2012, everything bottomed. So I think the opportunities are coming, but I'm personally moving towards commercial, commercial real estate and bigger deals. Yeah. Probably not even going to be touching single family anymore, but that's how I started. And that's the idea. So do you use any uh, of the credit stuff that you are learning and implementing now for anything other than just real estate deals? Or is that the sole thing that you're using credit lines for? Two things primarily, uh, funding uh, e-com stuff and real estate deals are the two things that I even talk about and our primary focus is yeah. because whenever you're leveraging credit, you got to stick to a rule uh, where your debt stays good debt as opposed to turn, uh, turning to bad debt. So good debt is when you leverage it for something that cash flows or ideally cash flows and appreciates. So a proven e-com business, for example, it cash flows monthly. You can keep funding it with credit to scale it, but it cash flows monthly. It's not like you spend $10,000 on your credit card or a loan and maybe in three or four months it produces profit. That's more of a liability. That's more of bad debt. When you go yep. and buy a car or you buy a motorcycle or a big ass TV, that is bad debt. That is a liability. That's something you're probably going to be paying interest on and not seeing a result. Not only is it not appreciating, yeah. it's depreciating and it's costing you monthly. That is bad debt. Good debt is cash flow and ideally cash flow and appreciation like real estate, like e-commerce where it cash flows. Yeah. So yeah, I want to talk about now uh, more of actually building the, the company that you have uh, and hiring a team and doing uh, all that sort of process uh, for yourself. First, I want to talk about just kind of getting a team behind you and how you uh, actually were able to go and get uh, employees to handle some of the workload for you. When you decided to hire your first employee, what were your steps to actually get there, hire them, train them on everything that they needed to know? What did that look like for you when you started doing that in the, in the beginning? Uh, the employee hiring process is always a pain. And you're going to be making mistakes and you're not going to be able to read people, but that's why sales really comes into play. You're going to be able to read people better. It helped me, but of yeah. course it's a process of its own. So my first uh, employees, I had assistants, I had sales team, I had videographers. Uh, the first employees, they did not work out. It was just like, uh -huh. Oh, this was such a red flag in the beginning where I could tell they were not listening to directions on the first week, that should have already been a red flag to just uh, let them go and hire somebody else. And that's the yeah. key. Whenever you're hiring employees, whether it's like a full-time employee in person or whether you're outsourcing, you gotta be very quick to see red flags and let people go and rehire. Because keeping somebody too long, it's gonna be very detrimental to the business. And if you're somebody new, it's gonna be difficult uh, for a lot of people, they, they get emotionally attached 
oh, I feel bad, you know, this is my employer, what's going to happen to them? Uh, if you feel like that, your business is going to uh, go downhill and it's going to get destroyed yeah. because those when, people will weigh the business down. When you, in the first, where did you go to get those, those employees that you initially hired? Was it online or was it through connections, uh, meetups? How did you get those employees in the first place that didn't end up working well, out? All my first employees uh, were always outsourced. Like they were part-time uh, out hiring for a project. So you can go on like Upwork okay. or yeah. Fiverr. So these were like, um, uh, what are they called? Uh, what's the name I'm looking for? They're like auctions almost, right? Like, uh, I, uh, I think virtual, I know what they're like, like virtual assistants, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. VA. Virtual yeah. assistants, yeah, VAs. So VAs were my first ones. Then I had uh, in-person employees, which were like videographers and assistants that I would see on a daily basis. And uh, those guys came from referrals. This is when I was already making content by myself on social media. So I had a presence. So they would see, okay, this guy's an entrepreneur. He's got a presence, he's got a business. So it was easier to find interest now because I already had a presence. And that's yep. probably one of the first things that anybody should be doing with a business is building a presence, getting interest. Like it's gotta look like it's a business. No one's going to come and work yeah. for you when you just have an idea and there's no money coming in. You got to have a proven idea. You got to have some income coming in. You got to have a goal and make sure these employees understand that goal and the path that you're trying to take them on. It's not like, exactly. like they should, they should know that they should understand. You guys should have a common vision. That's yeah. very important in a business and a company and anything else. Yeah. I feel like nothing really should be ambiguous at all. There should be clear cut points of what needs to be done, what should be expected out of every person in the company. So I think that's a very good point that you make. For starting on social media, when you did start that process and scaling your page, was there anything specifically that you did to make the growth happen that you have now? Or was it just consistent posting? Tell us about kind of your strategy there when growing on social media, posting by yourself, starting that process. Uh, walk us through kind of that stage there and, and, and what you saw, what you'd advise other people to do. Yeah. When I started, I had like 3,000 or 4,000 followers on Instagram. And so my page was very small. I didn't have a presence. And what I started doing is I was going to events in person. And one event that really made a big difference is Grant Cardone's event in Miami where there was like 33 or 40,000 people there. And what I did is I, I made a goal for myself to go speak to 600 people. And the first day I was actually selling click funnels because I'm like, I got to provide some value to every single person and I got to sell something. Yeah. So I'm like click funnels. But then the conversation always went to, Oh, travel hacking credit. That's a lot more interesting than click funnels. <laughs> so the second day, uh, is actually when I first opened my business, my online education business, that is. And that was teaching people about credit and travel hacking and how to leverage credit for personal business, real estate, e-commerce and travel hacking. So how to get the free flights, the free hotels. So instead of talking to 600 people about ClickFunnels, my second day and third day was talking to 600 people a day about credit and travel hacking. And yeah. I decided to offer a product, which I called my inner circle which is a thousand bucks. And my goal was to get somebody interested in that product. And by day two of me talking to 1200 people, I got my first seven sales, $7,000. And Here we go. I told, I told people, Hey, look, this is uh, the first time I'm starting this. It seems like you're very interested in, you know, what I have to offer you. 
uh, here's, you know, my track record. This is my story, which is very, very important. Having a story. It's not like you just offer a product with no story behind it. It's not going to sell. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I told these people, Hey, look, uh, I'm going to get on a phone call with you. I'm going to give you this content. I had no content, by the way, I just promised the content to be delivered the following week. And I said, I'm going to get, get on a call with you, every single one of you. And if you don't like what I have to offer, I'm going to give you your money back. And I'm not even going to do this. Okay. Not a single person asked for the money back. Matter of fact, they were like, I would have paid way more money for this. And that's why I started my Jeez. online education business from an in-person event. And all my sales were in person. And the only reason I could make those in-person sales was because I had that sales job. Yep. That's the thing is like, it goes back to just being uncomfortable. I'm sure that that wasn't what you wanted to do was to be talking to people and like kind of experimenting with what you were saying with credit. And obviously you knew what you were doing, but going up to people, uh, talking to them, initiating that contact, like I'm sure that it wasn't like natural for you to go up, uh, talk to someone and then walk to the next person. But it's just all about like, just grinding it out and make, making yourself uncomfortable every single day like that. I think that it's applicable for anybody at that, as at that point at that point it already was comfortable and natural to me because i spent a yeah. year at my sales job doing that every other day i was going to every single event i was making every single phone call and that was the very uncomfortable period but once i got through that uncomfortable yeah. period that allowed me to go to an event like grant cardone's event where i'm talking to 600 people a day and figuring out oh how do i how do i come up to this person how do i seem interesting what should i wear how should i look how should i present myself yeah. how do i lead the conversation that was already prepared with the 12 months at my sales job. So I was already comfortable. I was already like, yeah, I want to make this happen. I just didn't have an offer in the beginning, but I figured that out by speaking to all these people, getting the feedback and then realizing, Oh, this is actually what I should be talking to these people about. Yep, exactly. I think uh, what you're saying is kind of like growing a callus to like initiating sales or sales talk to people. Once you do it for so long, you, you, get numb to it in a way you grow that callus. It's like door to door sales. Like if you do it long enough, you just grow a callus to like people slamming the door in your face yeah. or whatever. Uh, it's pretty similar, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, to finish up here, I wanted to ask a couple more questions. One being again about uh, how you're using credit. So obviously you have the knowledge of credit, right? And you, you know what to do to optimize uh, how to obviously get the best deals from banks and then you use that money for business purposes. How, what is like the ratio of how much knowledge you should have in credit versus how much knowledge you should have in business? How, how should we optimize each side to make the most out of both? Do we need more business experience or more credit knowledge? Like what would, what, what, what would be the best ratio there? I guess. So, that so you my would purpose recommend? in asking this question was to basically have Jan explain uh, if one of you, for example, goes out and say gets this uh, big credit line, uh, has some form of credit card that offers you like $5,000, $10,000, you turn around and you have that now, do you need more business skills at that point or should you know how to use credit more to obviously get to the goal you want in the end, which is obviously make a profit. So if that makes sense, that's exactly why I asked this question, just so we can understand what we should be optimizing for in this process. It's very hard to say because it's all one big puzzle, you know, it's all yeah. one big puzzle and some businesses require more credit experience, like 
real estate, for example, the more credit knowledge and experience you have allows you to partner with somebody that has real estate knowledge and allows you to yeah. scale a crazy amount further than potentially something else where maybe it's all about operations that you should understand about hiring a team. You should have sales in place. You should have this in place and this in place, this in place. And in that particular example, you should have a lot more business knowledge. And even if you got a bunch of credit knowledge, the business knowledge will take you further than the credit knowledge will. So it yeah. depends on the business. It's not a, you know, cookie cutter thing for every single deal. But of course, it always helps just as know as much as you possibly can and have as much experience as you possibly can, because in any situation, yeah. uh, it could change. And having that knowledge here and having that knowledge there will take you further in the end. Exactly. Uh, so what, another one of the last questions I want to ask here is for someone that's interested in what you do, they love the knowledge you have and what you have been talking about. If they're interested in learning more about just credit in general, what is that first step that they should take if they're going to be turning off this episode right now, walking out the door and they're acting on learning credit? I want to know how to do this. What is that first step that you'd recommend that they, that they do? That first step is go to my Instagram at King Credit and literally every single day without a miss, I post something about credit, something about business. And if you go to my IGTV, there's like 10 hours of free credit videos step-by-step step that they can go learn. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, so Jan, you said in a podcast that was uh, at the end when they were, they were closing up that persistence, I believe, was the key attribute of an entrepreneur and success as an entrepreneur. So instead of asking that same question is usually kind of what I do in the end. I want to ask why persistence is that the key characteristic for entrepreneurs? Why is persistence that one for you? Because you're going to fail many, many times on a daily basis until those fails become smaller, less uh, frequent. And the only way to get to that level where those fails are going to become smaller and less frequent is to be persistent, persistent through those fails. When I was starting out, it was failure after failure after failure. My sales were not coming in. My team was not doing what they're supposed to. My content or system was not working. If I was not persistent, yeah. I would have stopped with that business a, a month in. Yeah. <laughs> if I was not persistent getting out of debt or learning credit, I would have been in that same situation, making $2,000 as a gym instructor or a swim trainer. <laughs> I, was, I was literally testing lotions and giving feedback for $100. If I was, yeah. not, if I was, not, if I was not persistent to get out of that situation, uh, that's what I would be doing still. Yep. So kind of an interesting question. Try to, ban try to answer this as best as you can. Uh, for someone that would want to learn persistence, how would you recommend that they learn that? Is there something that you would guide them to do to be more persistent of a person? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that's uh, something that most people need to be forced into by a very bad event in their life, either financial or emotional or really? whatever. And that generally builds that character and forces that persistence because they realize if they don't start making these changes and these moves, they're going to end up in a very bad place. That's why growing up, having money and being kind of in the middle, that's why I say suburbs, like growing up in the middle class is like the worst place that you can grow up. Either you grow up in absolute poverty where you're forced to get out of it. Otherwise you're going to be starving and potentially yep. dead or you grow up in a very affluent place where you already have 
uh, your environment where everybody's, you know, in a very good place, your mentality is there. Like middle class is like, yeah. like nobody's, nobody's hustling. Nobody's trying to go higher. They're just, they're just, you know, settled. They're, they're cool. Yeah. They're content. They're content. Exactly. Yeah. So Jan, that's all the questions that I had here uh, for you. Lastly, if you just want to shoot out any uh, places, links, we can find you. Uh, after that, we can uh, say goodbye. Yeah, man. The most active place is uh, Instagram. It's at King Credit. Um, I got other platforms like I'm on TikTok a lot, but the main place that you're going to find uh, me being the most active is Instagram uh, and it's at King Credit. And that's where everyone's going to learn about credit, about travel hacking. There's plenty of free knowledge. If they want to go to the advanced stuff, they can do that. But that's where they'll find it. Awesome. All right, guys. King Credit on Instagram. Uh, Jan, again, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great to chat and it was uh, great to meet you. Awesome, brother. Likewise. So, guys, I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode with uh, Jan. Um, if you want, the show notes will obviously progress you further into where you can find Jan if you're interested in the information that he gave. Uh, so, visit those uh, wherever you are listening. Um, on another note, subscribe rate and review the show uh, obviously if you like it so I can reach more people with this information uh, besides those things um, I will see you guys on the next episode